Hey everyone, it's Katie in Rome. If you like the show, spread the word, tell a friend, and visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. We are here in Rome and together at last again. And uh, today we're going to talk about sharing. Why are we talking about sharing, Tiffany? Because sharing is caring. (laughs) (laughs) No, because when you're an expat and you move abroad, Sometimes you're forced into situations where you have to share things, space particularly, with people that you've and you haven't done that in a long time. So that's something that that comes up. Yes, and we were thinking about it because of last time we were talking on this podcast, we were talking about Tiffany's birth and one of the things that we never got to, strangely, I think I just ended the show too fast or something, was that when you were giving birth, you were not alone. I didn't have to share the room while I was giving birth. It was the recovery room after that I had to share with three other women. So it's my understanding that if you want to have a room alone to recover in, you have to pay an X amount of money. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that giving birth in Italy is free. If you do choose to pay for a private room, it's not it's not going to make something that's bad worse. It's already free, so it doesn't seem quite as bad. I was going to get a private room because when I was planning my birth, which is kind of laughable because you can't really plan it, but you know, you try. I thought, well, I'm going to be in and out of there. I'm going to be out the next day. It's just going to be one night. I might as well get a private room. I also didn't want them to take Aurelio to the nursery. I wanted to have him with me all the time. And I figured since that wasn't really the policy of the hospital, they'd probably be more likely to let me keep him if I had my own room. So I was planning on that. It turns out that There were no rooms available. There were no private rooms, so I didn't have the choice. I think that they cost something like 250 or 300 euros a night. Which is a lot. It's quite a lot, but they do let your partner stay. There's like a pull-out bed sort of thing, like a cot bed that your partner can stay on, so that's kind of cool. So why do they do the sharing recovery room? Is that just, I mean, maybe that's something people do in the States too, I I don't know. And probably in other parts of the world, but is it just a space issue? I think so. I don't know in the States either. I, I think it's less common in the States. But here in Italy and in a lot of places in Europe, space is an issue. We don't have this enormous country that just spreads and spreads and, you know, enormous budgets for fancy hospitals. Things here are a little more basic. So, yeah, there's just not a lot of space. And, I, yeah, I had to share with three people, which I didn't I did not expect. I thought maybe one. And when they wheeled me in there in a daze, I looked around and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. and there's no curtains dividing you it's what are you all in a circle like a powwow (laughs) no that we were all in a line it was kind of a long narrow room there were curtains dividing us which i didn't notice until like the second day i'm like oh i could have totally closed these curtains that would have been nice but they don't close all the way around you just sort of between the beds but you know i'm not going to go into my post-birth experiences but let's say it was not ideal having three other women there to witness (laughs) <laughs> my body's slowly breaking down. No, just kidding. <laughs> now we're all like, wait a minute, what What happened? <laughs> I won't make you talk about it. I've heard the story, trust me. It's not worth sharing. But we are talking about sharing, so maybe it is worth sharing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could tell the story about visitors' hour. Yeah, well, I'll, I will say that 
I had a little bit of a traumatic post-birth experience and I was in kind of a delicate state and I had only given birth maybe five hours before, four or five hours, something like that. I was lying on the bed. They had taken Aurelio away and honestly, as much as I didn't want that beforehand, there was no way I could have taken care of him at that point. So it was actually for the best. And all of a sudden it was visiting hour. I had given birth very recently so my family had already seen me and said hello right afterwards so I didn't really have any visitors except my husband but all three other women had at least seven visitors apiece they were all in there at the same time it was very hot the air conditioning was not working I started to have a panic attack because there were so many people and I'm not someone who's prone to panic attacks I don't even know if I've ever had a full out one before, but I recognized it when it happened. Literally like tears streaming down my face. I, I don't know, I can't, uh, I can't describe it. If you've had a panic attack, you probably know. And I just remember one of the visitors of one of the girls next to me just sort of looking over and looking down at me like, what is this girl's problem? You know, and I'm thinking, oh God, you have no idea, you man. You have no clue. Maybe, maybe they were thinking, Oh, she doesn't have any visitors. <laughs> well, I basically told my husband, I said, you have got to get me out of here. I don't care what you have to do. You go find me a private room. Get me out of here right now. So he left. And that was even worse because then I was really by myself. Finally, I, I, uh, I realized I couldn't handle the situation. I thought, OK, well, eventually they'll leave. But it just it was one of those it was one of those like never ending moments, you know, where time stretches. So I rang for the nurse and she came in and. And I said, I'm having a panic attack. And I started sobbing. And she kicked everyone out. And she took care of me. So in the end, it worked out. But it was not a fun experience. <laughs> a little sympathy from Aurelia there. Yeah. Have you had to share living spaces with any, I don't want to say strangers, but practically strangers in your either travels or in your time abroad? Um, not really. No. I've had to travel with strangers before. In what situation? We've talked about a little bit how I used to travel to Vietnam with my father all the time. And he would often bring a delegation of people with him. People who he thought might be interested in helping the different projects he was working on there. Or people with looking to give money away. Or people who were just generally interested. Maybe they had fought in the Vietnam War and hadn't been back. So it was always a random group of people. <laughs> and me... Uh, the good news was my father often let me bring a friend along. So it wasn't just me with a bunch of people who were three decades older than me. But it was definitely awkward. Like a lot of being on the plane, sitting at tables, talking with people I didn't know. But it's funny about travel because you get to know people so much faster. You're all in the same shared experience. And sometimes they can be more annoying to you or more of a friend to you than they would be just because everything's so heightened and you're constantly on the move, if that makes sense. But um, I've never had to, I don't think, nothing comes to mind where I've had to share a room with anybody that I really didn't know besides going to college, you know, which is its own kind of expat experience in some ways, right? But, um, but yeah, I guess I never have. Well, I don't think I had to share a room with anyone, but I definitely shared apartments with people I didn't know. And I think it's something that a lot of expats, unless you, you have tons of money, being tra uh, relocated as a corporate expat, which was not our experience. What were you going to say? Or you're married. 
or you're married exactly that's true uh but if you're a single younger not wealthy person moving abroad as i was so a lot of times you have your own place before in your own in your own city you live there alone or you live with your partner and then you go abroad and all of a sudden you have to go back to college time you have to go back to having this roommate that you've never met it's good and bad i remember not having a lot of friends when i first moved to rome and so it was actually kind of nice having at least someone that i knew you know someone i could talk to but on the other hand i remember i lived in this one place with this older italian woman and she said to me okay let's uh let's set up the the cooking hours what time do you like to cook dinner seven o'clock or eight o'clock and i'm thinking i've never had such a schedule for eating before and she said well we have to do this otherwise we'll both be in here trying to cook at the same time it'll be chaos and so I don't remember chaos. Yeah, I don't remember which <laughs> hour I chose, but it was just, you know, it was horrible thinking I have to cook dinner at the same time every night. You know, that was kind of weird. And I remember other places where, you know, people telling me, you know, these are my dishes. You can't eat on these dishes. I lived in one place with the psychopath, which we've talked about in previous previous podcasts. That's a whole nother story. Have we? Which psychopath are we talking about? <laughs> I, I met so many. Um, no, it's the. I think I've mentioned it briefly. I don't think I've told the whole story, but I lived with a, a, a really, really messed up individual who rented out rooms in his flat and sort of terrorized all of his, not, not physically terrorized or anything, but, um, but sort of psychologically terrorized his tenants. And after I finally got out of there, he actually kind of electronically stalked me for a while. Do you think he's listening to this podcast right now? He, he probably is, actually. He's that one of those people who, like, have no life, never leaves the apartment. He was weird. What was he doing? Like, how was he psychologically terrorizing you? Well, like I said, most of it happened after I moved out, thank God. Uh, but I started to get an inkling long before I moved out that he was really, really weird. And there was a robbery in the apartment, which I now am convinced was him, because just a few little personal things were stolen. It wasn't like my computer wasn't stolen, my phone wasn't stolen, just like my favorite jewelry and my favorite dress, things like that. The electronic stalking or wh whatever, terrorizing, uh, was kind of a strong word, but uh, <laughs> it was terrorizing for me. Um, one, here's one thing, I had, it was the summer of my sister's wedding, and I had booked tickets to go to her bachelorette party in Las Vegas, leaving from Seattle, which was where uh, the wedding was. And I had booked this online while I was still living with him. And he was sort of a computer nerd. And I think all of the computers were hooked up on a network. And I know nothing about that kind of stuff. So I just let him do it. And I'm sure what he ended up doing was getting access to my computer. You know, I had no idea at the time. I go to the airport, I show up with my printout of my ticket. And the guy at the front desk says, oh, this flight has been canceled. Not the flight, but the reservation has been canceled. And I was like, what do you mean? There's no way. And he said, no, 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 the reservation was canceled. I said, but it was a non-refundable ticket. And he's like, yeah, that's right. You didn't get refunded for it. It was just canceled. And I, and I basically realized instantly that it had been him. And, you know, of course, started crying. And, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to my sister's bachelorette party. Ah. And I convinced them. They were really nice. This was Seattle for you. I convinced them to reinstate the ticket. So that was good. He also started a blog in my name. This is long before I was a blogger. He started a blog in my name with the photo that he had taken from me. And he was able to hack into my email account and email a whole bunch of my contacts and it looked like it, he was sending it from me. And he said, this is my new blog. Make sure you check it out. 
Tiffany. First of all, the picture of me was very unflattering. But that wasn't the bad part. He had basically stolen my diary, my journal. You know, I'm, I, I don't write so much, but I used to write very, very often in a journal and, you know, very private thoughts. He basically had photocopied all the, like, sort of incriminating parts of this diary and was threatening to post it in this blog and send it to everyone I knew. So that was pretty terrifying <laughs> for me. What in the world? I mean... Do you have any sense of what his motivation was? I mean, that, that's crazy. He was crazy. That was his motivation. But he, did he hate you for some reason? He hated me because I didn't want to be friends with him. That kind of happened with every person that lived with him. He was a little bit older. He was in his early 40s. I was in my sort of late, mid to late 20s. Most people who lived there were in their 20s. He would try to become buddy-buddy with all of us. We were all foreigners, you know, and so we all had sort of a bond. And we were all the same age and did sort of the same similar type of, of work. There were several rooms in the flat. So I became friends with a couple of other people. And he wanted to be part of the group. We weren't rude to him. We would, you know, if we did something social and he expressed an interest in going, it wasn't like we would exclude him. But it became very clear that he wasn't really, you know, he wasn't someone that we necessarily wanted to hang out with. And I think this was what started it. And I know that I'm not the only person. I've ran into other people that I don't know who lived there at various times because he would offer a pretty decent rent. And I think that it was because he wanted to get people to move in there so that he could, I don't know. I really, it's hard to say what his motivation was, but he was, he was definitely, I don't necessarily want to say psycho, psychopath, but definitely a sociopath for sure. I met some girls who had lived in one of the other rooms in the flat and they had found a camera in their room I talked to a lot of people who had been, you know, had really, really bad experiences. So it wasn't just me, although I think that he had a, something particularly strong against me because I think he overheard me sort of saying something mean about, mean about him behind his back to like one of the other roommates complaining about him or something. And so I don't know. He was a, he's a psycho. Well, he may have had cameras everywhere. So anything that you would have all said about him. Yeah, well, I... When this stuff started happening, I searched that room, and it was a very basic room. There was not a lot of furniture in it, and there was not a lot of decoration, but I took every light fixture apart. I searched everywhere, and I'm 99% sure there was no camera in there. And if there had been, I'm sure that he would have threatened me with videos of whatever, me undressing or something, I don't know. Uh, but um, definitely freaky, freaky person. Wait, so he threatens you that he's gonna put your journals online. What did he want in return? He was just like, how about coffee? <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. Now, actually, now, so this is like 10 years ago. So I actually have forgotten some of the details. Here's, what, here's one of the things that happened. He also got a lot of rent in advance out of me. He said, he said I'm having a little bit of a cash flow problem right now. This is before I, I'd figured out who he was. He said, I'm having a cash flow problem. If you pay me X number of months of rent in advance, I'll give you a month for free or something like that. And I was really low on money at that time and wasn't making very much. And so, you know, I decided to do it because I liked the place. I ended up moving out before that time. I had to. I was, he, was, he was making my living situation absolute hell. I had to get out of there. Like, I could not stay there. He'd started actually to threaten me vi with violence. I knew he wouldn't have done it because he was one of those sort of incredibly cowardly type people. So I knew he wasn't actually going to hurt me, but nevertheless, I was scared and I didn't have a lot of friends and contacts at the time. So I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I left having a month's rent and my security deposit that I hadn't gotten back from him. 
And so I was basically writing him saying, listen, when are you going to give me this money back? And he was basically saying, don't even think about it. If, if you keep bothering me, this is going to come out. So now, now I remember what his motivation was. So maybe it was all financial, but mm, I don't think completely. So how did it end? It ended that he eventually just went away. He kept emailing me for a while. He emailed me a photograph of a woman in, a, in some kind of sexual position. You couldn't see her face. I knew it wasn't me, so I didn't worry. But I mean, he just would send me this weird stuff. I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to ignore it. And eventually, I think he just got bored. He found new victims. Jesus. <laughs> just freaky story. Yeah. That'll keep you from moving abroad. Um, <laughs> How did we get to that from sharing? Well, it's all about sharing. Yeah. <laughs> he was really sharing your life. Um, did that have any lasting ramifications for you as far as I think so. how you felt or what kind of situations you got into later on? I've become, I don't want to say distrustful because that's a very negative sounding word, but I'm not the open, naive okay, great, this is going to, you know, person that I, I was. I think in a city like Rome, you have to be like that. Maybe everywhere you have to be like that. But I am very cautious about people. I don't take people I meet on face value anymore. What does that mean? Like, how does that, what does that mean you do? It means that if someone presents themselves to me as being X, Y, and Z, Unless it's like, you know, my friend's best friend or someone that I have a real contact in common with, something like that. I don't necessarily believe them. I'm not going to let it come across, but I just don't, um, I don't, I don't want to say I don't give people the benefit of the doubt. If I have nothing to lose, then yeah, I don't go around distrusting people. But if I have to trust you, if I'm, if I'm putting myself in your power, let's say, in any sort of a way, whether that means I'm accepting a ride from you or I'm going to be renting a room from you or anything like that, I'm going to be extra, extra cautious. And I'm not going to just be like, oh, yeah, he, she said she's this, this and that. And I'm just a little more aware. So does it worry you that you're that you that we are putting ourselves out there on this podcast i have definitely thought about it i started to think about it when i started blogging and i remember thinking about that man and thinking he's totally gonna be able to find me now because i remember at the time i changed all my email addresses i was super super cautious i didn't have my name out there in any way on any forum anywhere then one day i started i decided to start blogging maybe five years later and it definitely crossed my mind and doing the podcast even more so because my blog is not that personal, whereas this podcast is very personal. At the end of the day, I don't want to not live my life because I'm afraid of some what some freak person is going to do. And also, I've gotten to the point where I kind of feel like my life is an open book now. There's not really anything I'm, I've ever done that I'm ashamed of. My husband knows absolutely everything about me. There's like, I like hide nothing from him. So it's not like I have some skeleton in my closet that I'm afraid is going to come out. So I don't have a sex tape out there. So <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Why did you say yes to doing this podcast when I asked you to? Because I thought it would be something really new and exciting to do and oh sorry my baby just burped <laughs> <laughs> that's new and exciting for me yeah uh and you know doing a project with one of my oldest closest friends just was too good to pass up especially something that you're already so good at something that i know nothing about and could definitely learn about it was just too uh too cool of a project to uh to not do i found that one of the hardest things for me about doing it and part of the reason i wanted to do it was that 
I come from a public radio background, an NPR background, where there's sort of a, I wouldn't even say there's a debate, but there's sort of a split about how much should the audience actually know about you personally versus just recognizing your voice, basically. And the general school of thought is not very much when it comes to reporters, when it comes to announcers. They should find you friendly, comfortable person, but not that you would know anything personal about me, where I, where I live, who I'm in love with, any of that, all of that should be off the table, or that my high school, 20th high school reunions this weekend, don't talk about that. That kind of stuff is off the table. Part of that's to keep people from being arrogant. It's all about me, you know, when really it's supposed to be all about the news. So in that case, it makes a lot of sense. But I think at the same time, when it comes to the relationship people have with people they listen to, I personally always wanted to know more about the people I always hear. I wanted to know what they were up to and what kind of a person they were. So I think the challenge for me, all of this is to say that the challenge for me has been being more open or even figuring out how to be honest in what I'm sharing because I'm so used to just sharing enough but not not crossing a line yeah does that make sense yeah because you're so used to it and you did that for 11 years and you were probably very aware of it all throughout that time and now it's like you're bearing your soul yeah but I always disagreed that people you regularly hear on the radio should have no no personal things about them ever said I always disagreed with that generally now would, would that be for news readers or you know or any person on the public like I mean what if somebody has a call-in show I mean, can that person be a little more personable than the person who's just reading the top stories? Well, it depends on the school of thought because there's a lot of different thoughts. But yes, they should be personable, but they shouldn't necessarily be personal. Do you know what I mean? I'm torn with that because I, I do think that you carry yourself in a professional manner when you're on the radio. But I also think that if I'm going to listen to the same host, host an afternoon show every single, well, maybe not every single day, but every week I get curious about who they are and I think that it's impossible to do an interview without a little bit of your personality coming through I get even more curious I remember this um this guy who, who was a wonderful radio show host although he ended up using his powers for evil <laughs> um I would say his name is Tom Likas a lot of you know him probably he was on commercial radio and I've always been a fan of commercial radio and he started out talking about big issues and he would lay out whatever the issue was for 20 minutes and then he would take calls on it eventually he started talking more about the relationship between men and women and he was a little bit of a chauvinist definitely but still incredibly talented so I love to listen to him but I was also so curious about him personally I knew he would always pick a side but who was he like as a dude really and so I went down to this fair that I knew he was going to be at and I had no idea what he looked like all I knew was that he often wore a Hawaiian shirt because <laughs> he had mentioned that. So I went down and basically looked for him around where I knew he was going to be speaking and found him in a line. Hey, are you Tom Likas? And he's like, I am. How in the world did you know? It was the Hawaiian shirt. It was the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That was a huge side story to just say that it is hard to put yourself out there. It is for me, I think, a little bit. I'm not against the idea. It's just hard still. Yeah, it's, um, I think there's two things that are hard about it. One thing is a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people have this sort of voice in the back of their head saying, 
nobody really cares. You know, <laughs> why are you sharing all of this? Nobody is interested. And then on the other side, you have your own inhibitions of, do I really want X, Y, and Z to know about this thing that happened to me, this personal thing or, or, or whatever? Or not even personal things, but just putting your personality out there so strongly. You know, you can't be mysterious if you have something like this out there. I can never, again, move somewhere, have a roommate, and try to, like, sort of pretend I'm someone else. <laughs> like I used to do when I was younger. Like, give myself a new personality, a new, you know. You can't do that. I can't do that now because I'm, like, out there. Yeah, but it's also totally disposable. So if we ever stop doing it, eventually it would just fade away. You know, That's true. That's true. But if somebody's interested enough, they could dig it out. Yeah. But again, that goes back to the original thing. Does anybody really care? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Aurelia will care. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about him looking you up later? You know, it's funny. Um, I watched an interview with Diane Keaton on, I don't know what show it was. But she's talking about a book that she wrote. And again, I don't know the name of her book. Sorry. It's a recent one, though. She could probably find it. And it was about her mom's diaries. And she read her mother's diaries after her mother died. And some of the stuff she wrote was really negative. From what I remember in this interview, I haven't read the book. So I could be wrong about this. But I remember just a lot about the sort of struggles and a lot of just actually it was really funny. She would say things that were very harsh, but in a funny way. One of my friends who has three kids said, you know, I'll never keep a journal because we were talking about journal writing. She said, no, 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 I could never keep a journal because I'm afraid that one day after I'm gone, my kids will read it. I wouldn't want them knowing all this stuff about me. I'd never thought about that, you know, in all my years of journal writing. I, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about it in terms of him either, with the exception that, and this is going to sound really cheesy, um, but I kept a diary all throughout my pregnancy. Every day I would write from one sentence to a paragraph, but I wrote it to him, talking to him. From the very day I found out I was pregnant, I bought the diary on that day. And so I'm going to give it to him someday. I don't want to say it's watered down, but definitely none of the really bad stuff is in there. Not like, but now I'm putting it out there. <laughs> Aurelio, this was the day I got stalked by my landlord. No, what I meant to say was more things like, oh gosh, have I made the right decision? Do I really want to do this? Oh, I'm, I'm regretting it, you know, or something. I mean, everyone has those thoughts, even people who tried to get pregnant like I did. But I'm going to give that to him. And, I, and I've been debating like when. 18th birthday, 25th birthday, the day he has his own child. I don't know. Yeah. It will depend on his personality, yeah. too. I mean, you never know if you're going to have a kid that's sentimental or not. I know. I know. And I hate to, you know, I don't like to think, you know, I don't like to assume that your kids are going to be like you. They're often not. But both my husband and I are extremely sentimental mm -hmm. and very sensitive. And so I have a feeling he might be sentimental, too. But if he sort of turns out to be immature, 18-year-old who couldn't care less, I think I would wait until he had his first baby. And that would be a good moment. There's a split in Derek's side of the family where Derek is also very sentimental. We're always wishing that if people are going to get rid of something that was from the past, something that was owned by a grandparent or a great-grandparent, they should give it to us. Give it to us instead and of anybody else because some members of his family just don't care. they don't care it's not that they're mean people they're just they're living in the now and we're always don't you want to have the object that the great-grandfather had around you I, I feel we're very much about the genealogy and how we're all tied together 
I'm very much about that too. I'm the only person in my family, pretty much, who cares. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's another thing about putting yourself out there or writing journals and that he could read later. It's interesting that y- your friends m- or Diane Keaton's mother, or wh- who are you saying? <laughs> oh, some your friend was saying that she would never want to keep a journal because she doesn't want the kids to read it. Uh-huh. I would pay money to read the journals of my grandmother or my great grandmother. Oh, Wouldn't you want to know what they were thinking or who they, I mean, who cares who they really were at? once you're gone right I mean don't you really want to know the real story yeah and I think also just knowing some minutiae of their lives things even things that are not that interesting that things that they did places that they went trips that they went on yeah I would I would love to have that information even about my mom and you know she's alive and well and can tell me stories but you forget things Mm -hmm. you forget things about yourself that happened two years ago much less 20 or 30 years ago so yeah and I mean, how many kids sit and say, Mom, tell me that story about when you were in high school or tell me about that story about when you did this or did that. Every kid wants to know those stories about their parent. So, yeah, I think, uh, I don't think it's a mistake. But the truth is, is that we're, we are like constructing the story of who we are. Every day in our minds, we're constructing the story of who we are, but we're also constructing the story of who we are that we leave behind by what we choose to write down or what pictures we keep and put somewhere. Or what we post on social media, right? which is not always accurate to what our lives are actually like. Like, Which is why I kind of hate social media. (laughs) Well, that's why I quit Facebook. I know, but you're making me be on Twitter. I did not make you be on Twitter, (laughs) eh? (laughs) I did not force you. But Twitter, I think Twitter's can be used more for more for professional purposes as we've talked about well and i will say that we've met some really nice people on twitter a few of whom well one of whom we're going to interview while i'm here sweet um well geez should we leave it there (laughs) yeah i mean we kind of went off topic but i think it all i think that was an all-in sharing wasn't it i think so (laughs) (laughs) on topic and aurelio thank you for being such a gentleman (laughs) no comment from him All right, well, until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I am Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Talk to you next time. Bye. If you want to support the show, please visit our webpage, thebittersweetlife.net, and click the donation button. If you really enjoy the show and you want to keep it alive, we certainly do. Visit the donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Additionally, if you're interested in sponsoring the program and reaching thousands of people all over the world, send us an email at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com. Thank you for all the ways you support us, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.